Good morning, Fathom Church. How's everybody doing? All right, good. I want you guys to do something. I want you to get on your feet real quick. Today's our two-year anniversary, and we're about to start a little party. So we're going to have some fun today. So you'll find underneath, you'll find like one of these things, maybe close by. If not, steal them from somebody. And we're just going to celebrate. They're going to throw on some music, and we're going to have some fun. This morning, we're going to kind of start a party, and that was not supposed to happen. So you guys ready? Can we celebrate together? Can we just... Say happy anniversary! These don't make noises! I thought they made noises! Woo, come on! Slap somebody a high five, give them a hug, find somebody real quick. There we go. What's up? Dude, so big. What's up, man? Good to see you, bro. It's great to see you. Awesome. Let me be the first to wish you a happy anniversary. You didn't know it was your anniversary. You guys can be seated today. We're going to have some fun in the Word today. That did not work out like I wanted because these were supposed to make... Don't these make noises? Isn't that like the standard thing they make noise? What a stinking bummer. So lame. It's what you get when you shop at the dollar store, right? They blow, but nothing comes out. It's so good to see you guys. Happy anniversary, happy anniversary. Uh, if this is your first time with us here at Fathom, we just want to welcome you. And today we're starting a brand new series, and we're also, also going to start kind of a new tradition around here in the life of our services. Usually every week, this is kind of time when I get up and I welcome our guests. And I'm like, hey, if this is your first, second, third time. We just want to welcome you here. Hope there's a place where you can grow in faith and family. You guys have heard it before, right? And so every time we do that from now on, I just want us to do this. As a family, we're going we're gonna to tell everyone that it's their first time. If you're here your first time, you get the first time to experience it, okay? So bear with us while we're working it out. So I, I want us to say welcome home. So I, I'll say just from our church family, we just want to tell you. Home. Yeah, and you got to do it with enthusiasm, not like welcome home, like. Like you're telling mom, gay, welcome home, glad you're home. No, let's say it with some enthusiasm. So if this is your first time at Fathom, we just want to thank you for being here. And we just want to tell you as a family, welcome home. Now see, I believe that. I believe that. And I want it to be sincere, not just put on, not just to be a, a part of a religious tradition, but something that's sincere, that we're genuinely looking to just bring people into the body of Christ. God's given me so much vision this year. Uh, for us to really connect and build the body of Christ here in Jacksonville and around the world. So I'm excited to see what God's going to do. So we're starting this brand new series called Welcome Home. And uh, as most of you know, um, my wife and I were not from Jacksonville, which makes us transplants. Like we just transplanted in. My wife was really raised all over the place. She was from Michigan, so Ohio, North Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida most of her life. And uh, I grew up in the same town. Um, most of, or all of my life until I moved away from college. I, I moved away nine hours, uh, which was a long way. You can tell I probably wanted to get away from home. And so I took off nine hours away. And uh, when I, uh, one time when I was in college, I, I came home for the weekend. And there's, there's a couple of times I'm going to tell you about that were really kind of memorable welcome home moments. Um, one was I, I was kind of, I traveled and did some like touring and stuff on break. So I didn't get to come home a lot. But this one time I did on a I think it was at the end of exams, and so I, I left. My last exam, I got out at like 12, and it's a nine-hour drive again. My mom knows that. She dropped me off, and so we're, we're headed down. Um, I, I take off. Um, at, at noon, I call her like, hey, I'm on my way, and they were student pastors at the time at, the, at my home church, and so their service started around 7, 
And so I pull in at 7.15, so cut a, a nine-hour trip into about seven hours, 15 minutes. I, my family has this genetic disease where our, our right foot's filled with lead. It's just really heavy and makes us really good speeders. Um, and so we got there, I got there at 7.15, and I walk in the door, and the look on my mom's face was like, it was one of those mom looks. I don't even have to explain or try to put on because I'm not a mom. But you guys know what look I'm talking about, like, I'm going to kill you. And so she may have hit me at the time. I'm not going to, like, report her for child abuse, but I'm pretty sure she hit me. She was angry, and then after she got over it, she was like, you are your father's child. And so I could just blame it on my dad. Um, and then there was another time where I didn't tell her I was coming home for, for uh, I think it was just a quick weekend, like three-day weekend or something. I didn't tell her that I was coming home, and so I, I just hitched a ride with some friends uh, back home, and, and my brother, I had, I had worked it out with him where he was going to pick me up from Tampa, and then we wouldn't get in until like 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning, and uh, my mom would already be asleep, and I would just kind of sneak in my bedroom. She wouldn't even know I was there. It was going to be a big surprise, so it was a great idea, right? And so I, I, I just had to ramp up my welcome home since the last time I blew it, uh, and then so I, I get home, I fall asleep in my bed, sleep in my bed, I wake up the next morning. And you can kind of play out what happens next. I pick up the phone. She's in her room, and I call her from my bedroom and uh, just begin to just talk to her. Mom, what you up to today? It's like Saturday morning. What you up to today? Oh, I got this plan. She's just talking to me through her day, picturing me in my dorm room somewhere, wherever I was living at the time. And so I just go moseying into her bedroom on the phone with her, and I just start talking. I'm like, yeah, that sounds really awesome. And then she turned around, and the look on her face was, again, priceless. Because it was like shock and fear. Like she literally thought she was seeing a ghost. Like this was a supernatural moment of some sort that she was just shocked. So it was like shock and fear, like straight terror and, and then joy. And so like all these emotions, just psh, tears. Like, and, and like she, she didn't even know what was happening. It took a few minutes. And after that, she was really excited and surprised. But um, just both of those welcome home stories stick out in my brain, but we, we all kind of get moved by like welcome home moments. Like we see a soldier um, coming home to his family. Some of you in this room have done that. Some of you are doing that this year or currently going through that. Um, those things kind of move us. It, there's something that stirs our heart and makes us cry or, or seeing a baby that's been in the hospital for too long come home. It's like moving. You, that family just, it, it's beautiful. Or maybe like the first time like a uh, a husband and wife come home, and they cross the threshold. It's just a beautiful moment. And, uh, but I, I know the one for me that really stirs my heart is seeing someone that I know that's been struggling with their faith, struggle, struggling to believe in God, and I see them come home to a real relationship with Jesus and his church, and that stirs me up, and that fires me up. And that's really the welcome home over the course of this month that we're going to be talking about, and really the, the one that I really want to be uh, implanted into our brains, if you will, uh, of just being excited about seeing people come into the body of Christ, because that's, that's the joy for a believer, is to see people come into the incredible joy and hope that we have in Jesus. And so we just want to see that happen throughout this year. And so I'm excited for us all to go on this journey um, together. And so we're going to be diving into a, a, a text today that's going to surprise you because most likely when I say it, you probably will not even realize that's a book in the Bible. If you do realize it's a book in the Bible, you might not have read it. If you have read it, you probably didn't know what it was about. And if you did read it and know what it was about, you definitely haven't heard a message preached on it. So I'm excited to teach 
on the book of Philemon today, which if you turn in your Bible, uh, it's probably much easier to do on your phone, because if you do it in your Bible, you better look up the page number, because it's literally half a page long, and you will miss it. If you do not know exactly what page you're going to, it's very tough to find, because it's literally one page, and so turn to Philemon chapter 1. It's a joke, because there's only one chapter. So turn to Philemon chapter 1. We're going to go there and uh, dig in, and really what I want to talk to us about today, and we'll be talking through our core values and just preaching from the Bible and how our core values play in here, um, and really talking about love. I mean, it may sound like an unfamiliar place to start, but they say that home is where the heart is. And really for us as a church body, and what I believe the scripture teaches is that our journey as disciples and as disciple makers begins with understanding the grace and love of Jesus and what he did for us. And so that's where our journey begins as a disciple, when we come to know that love that he has for us. But I also think our beginning journey with anyone that we're reaching out to, to connect the faith with, I believe that same thing is at play at the beginning of our journey as disciple makers. And so before we dive into the text, let me give you a little context, because again, the reason I say that you might have read it but not understood it, because there's a lot of contextual things, and if you don't know really the backstory, it's just kind of like... What's this here for? But what, what I think we'll find as we read through it and learn a little more about it is that there's this incredible story and beauty of love and forgiveness and family that God's, God wants within the body of Christ and the impact that it can make. It's, really, it's written by uh, Paul, um, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, um, or at least the majority of it. And uh, he, he's writing it from prison. Like, men, like being in prison is not going to stop his ministry. He's in there with some some comrades, and they've gotten in trouble sharing the gospel. And, and they're, they're in prison, and he's writing a letter to a guy named Philemon, who uh, is like a host group for the Colossian church. So Philemon is leading the house church, or at least it's being held at his house. So he's a host for the anchor group. And uh, they're, so they're meeting at his house, and he's a spiritual son of Paul. He's a spiritual son of Paul. Paul's raised him up. He's discipled him. Uh, into the faith that he has now, and, and uh, he's just been really discipling him, and Paul's now in prison writing this letter about this other guy named Onesimus. And Onesimus was a former slave or fellow worker for Philemon. He was an employee, he was a slave, whatever the way you want to look at that. And so he was, um, when he was working for him, somehow the, the relationship didn't work out anymore. Either Philemon just busted him and be like, dude, I'm tired of your junk, I'm out of here. Or uh, Philemon was like, dude, I'm tired of you, you're gone. Like one of the way this, it, the, the relationship ended, there's probably two sides of that coin. But when it happened, it was very common for a worker, for a slave to take, like when they left, like they collected lots of things and like said, I'm really leaving, I'm taking some of your stuff with me. I hope you, none of you guys have done that when you get let go from a job. You're like, I'm taking all this. I'm taking this copier, and like, I hope none of you have done that. But that's what Onesimus did, and he stole a bunch of stuff from him. It's, it's kind of obvious in the scriptures that that's what happened. So he walks away with lots of things, and so he really did him wrong. Funny how God works, because Onesimus will take off running, doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. He's on the run away from Philemon, because he'd hunt him down and punish him in some way. And on his journey, somehow, I don't know if he was working at prison, he was in that same prison that Paul was in, or was friends with somebody that was working at the prison, somehow he crosses path, paths with Paul. And Paul begins to mentor him and build up this, this guy that's come from a kind of a thieving kind of slave past and pour into him. And he also becomes a spiritual son 
of Paul. So now here's Philemon that Paul has like helped start the Colossian church and poured into him. He's a spiritual son. And, and now Onesimus is also a spiritual son, but like they're not on the same page. And like, can you imagine like a hangout with them? Like it's going to be super awkward. And Paul's like, hey, I'm kind of envisioning this time where we get together and it's just like we got to work things out. So Paul's going to make a big request of Philemon, a, a big brotherly, godly request of him in regards to forgiveness and really unity in the body of Christ. And I think the heart of it is really love, and that's really where Paul starts. And so as we go today, uh, go through the scriptures today, I really want us to begin to ask ourselves four questions about our own hearts. Because again, if home is where the heart is, that's really where it starts as a disciple and really as a disciple maker. So what does that look like? What does it look like for us? Asking ourselves four questions about love in our life, four love questions. So let's begin in verse 1. We're going to move to verse 7, and we'll, we'll tap the brakes. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty normal greeting there. This is where it begins to, to get interesting. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear about your love. Just kind of remember that. I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So we could probably go through this and be like, hey, what's the big deal there? He says love a couple of times. But when we begin to see the whole picture, and Paul's writing, uh, writing a letter to him, he's appealing to something that's already inside of Philemon. He's not saying, hey, you don't understand love. He's like, no, you get love. Like, you've shown me love. I hear about it. Other people talk about how you love other people. He's, we could think that he's just kind of buttering his toast to pop it in the oven and make sure that it comes out the way we want or giving all these compliments. And so when he requests, you guys know that whole sandwich theory. Like, maybe he's just doing that. But no, I think he's appealing to something that's already inside of Philemon. Not something that, that he has to figure out, but something he has to apply to a very particular circumstance in his life. And so as we begin to talk about love, and you're like, yeah, man, that just sounds like something I've heard before. L let's take it and let's apply it to the specific areas in our life that God may be speaking to us today. And so the first question I want to ask us today is, like, am I motivated by love? Am I motivated by love? Because I think that's where this starts, and I think that's why Paul, starting here, is talking about motivation. Like, hey, you get this, and, and you're living this, but I want to ask us, is, are, are our actions motivated by love? This is really where we stopped last week in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and talking about Christ's love compelling us. As his ambassadors, as his vessels into the world, it being Christ's love that sends us out to share the good news. And so that's really where we have to really grab a hold of it today is, is not only am I motivated by love, but it, that love being from Christ. It's Christ's love that compels us to go and live out and share. But I think for many of us, it, it, it's a, a difficult thing um, to, to really begin to live these things out. And some of the toughest places to live it out are the people that we're closest to. Like, it's, we're going to Kenya. It's easy to love folks over there, right? It's easy to pray for somebody on the other side of the world. It's hard to love and show that forgiveness to someone that's very close to us. 
that lives in the house with us. We're good at remembering, right? We're good at holding, holding grudges. I know you guys never hold grudges, but, but what we often do is we begin to just put these, these pieces away and slowly it begins to be, begin to build a very bitter picture in our life. I think God's going to begin to work on, on that in our life because I, I think at really what the core of us, most of us, when some, something, we all have dysfunction in some relationship, we do. We, we all have a strained relationship somewhere in our life. We all have unforgiveness somewhere. And, and my goal as we go in and look at the scripture is that we would be, be drawn to a real motivation of love to not only restore those relationships, but all the relationships that we have going on would just be, be compelled by Christ's love for us. And it's really just the message of grace. Because most of us, what we want to do is we want to manipulate the actions. We want to, we want to treat the symptoms, right? I mean, I, I've had this, all this congestion stuff going on, and what do we do? Pop some NyQuil, right? And, and is that really treating the problem? No, most of the time that stuff's not treating the problem. It's really treating the symptoms. It's going to dry me up, but it's not really treating what's actually happening. And that's what we do with our relationships most of the time. We try to treat the symptoms, or we try to control the symptoms, and not really working from a true place of love and grace, because we'd love to control and change things about people in our life, whether it be our boss or our husband or wife or ex-husband or wife or uh, our, our, our siblings or our best friend. We'd love to manipulate some of those behaviors. But here's the thing. We can't change their heart. Like, that's a newsflash for us today. That's the bad news. You can't control somebody's heart. The good news is that God can. And God wants to use us as a vessel of love. The scriptures are plain about the, the essence of what love is. God is love. The greatest commandment is to, to love the Lord your God. When the, the, um, some Pharisees were trying to trick Jesus with, what's the greatest commandment? They're like, oh, this will get them because they're all important. He's like, well, it, it, it's simple. Like, love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, and strength. Seconds like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said all the prophets, all the law hangs on this, love. When Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians, he talks about all these amazing spiritual gifts, about miracles and healing and all these amazing things, and he gets to chapter 13 and he just, just lets it loose. Like, you can have all those things, but if you don't have love, like, you've got nothing, and it's just a resounding symbol. And there's, at the end of the day, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest is the scriptures are plain about love, and we may, so we may kind of throw this aside and say, oh, yeah, man, I've heard love before. I need to love my neighbor. I need to do that. But let's really dig into this, into the specific relationships, and ask yourself, am I really motivated by love, or am I really trying to manipulate and control the outside and not really allow the Lord to work on, on both my inside and what he's doing in their life? I think we're going to see some incredible freedom through this. So let's go to verse 8 and continue going, not just being motivated by love, but also something else. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you what to do, um, what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It, it is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Yet I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. Probably as soon as Philemon saw that word, the first time his name comes up, he's like, oh, you kidding me, that dude? who became my son while I was in chains. And, and now he's like, wait, wait a second, spiritual son. When I talk about that, when I talk about spiritual son, this is something that I desire for every single person in this room. 
um, is that we not only have a spiritual mother and father, someone that would raise us up in the faith, someone encourage us. You may have someone that, like that in your life. You may need to find someone and pray for someone like that to come into your life that can encourage you and build you up and raise you up to be the, the man or woman of God that he's called you to be. But I also want us to have a vision in opening our hearts to the people around us that God wants to also use us to be a spiritual father, to be a spiritual mother. I believe it's biblical in raising up men and women of God. And that's, I think that's for each one of us, that we can grow in the faith and get to a place where we can influence and disciple people. And, and he's going on. I think at this point now, Philemon's like, whoa, like now he's a, a son to you? And he's like, I'm, I'm a son to you too. This is probably kind of getting some wheels turning. Formerly he was useless to you. That, that kind of insinuates that he probably let him go. Like there was just issue. He might have been stealing stuff already and just let him go. But now he's become useful both to you and to me. That's not Tom, it's to me. Uh, verse 12. I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. So here's a close relationship that he had developed with him when he was in prison. And I'm, I want to send him back to you. I would have uh, liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. Uh, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Remember when we talk about, again, trying to manipulate the outside and treat the symptoms when Paul is actually saying, look, this is actually a better way. I could tell you what to do, but I know that's not effective. What I really want to happen is something inside of you that will come out outside. And I believe it's going to be more effective that way. I want it to be voluntary to come from your heart, even though Paul at this time, as a spiritual father, could say, hey, you need to do this. But he's wanting to appeal on the basis of love because he knows it's more effective. Verse 15. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. Sometimes distance can make the heart grow fonder and really allow time to heal. And we all need that. Verse 16. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear Brother, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. The scriptures are pretty amazing in how they speak life into a relationship that was so ugly between a master and a slave. And what the scriptures do is lower a role of a master and raise a, a, the role of a slave to bring confidence and, and equality uh, among those, those uh, parties. And really speaking life into those relationships in a culture that it was not like that. It was very far apart. And what the scriptures wanted to do was breathe life into that relationship and treat one another as brothers in Christ. That was socially revolutionary. It was really incredible what the scriptures do here. So the second question that we really need to ask ourselves, that I think the beginning of this uh, verse 8, it really gets into us, is am I communicating in love? Because I think what most of us want to know is what's working, right? Beginning of the year, we're looking for the right diet. What's the, what's the diet that's working? What's the exercise plan that's working? What's the financial savings plan that's working? We all want to know what's working, right? And how about, how about something in our relationships? We need something that works because we've tried a lot of other things, and that's not working. Yelling louder is not working. You know, strongly worded letters is not working. So what, where do I go from here in this strained relationship? in this place that I, I can't forgive. And I think we have to ask, us, ask ourselves this question. Am I communicating in love? Because we're a vessel. We're a vessel for the Lord to use, to carry out the good news, to carry out the gospel. And really, just a, a second question is, am I communicating in love? Is if this person 
or, or this situation was really relying on me to share the gospel, how would I be doing? And I think many times we'll find ourselves short of that, but we can be encouraged to know that there's a real opportunity to share the good news and that love works, or as 1 Corinthians 13 says, love never fails. And we can believe and we can trust in this and, and, and move all of our marbles to that. And so let's really get into this. How am I, communica- am I communicating in love? I love what James chapter 1, verse 19 says. If we really want to know how to communicate in love, we've got to learn to not, we think communication, we th- think of talking first, right? I love what first James, or not first James, James 1, 19 says, is that be quick to listen. We want to know how to communicate to that person. We want to know how to, how to communicate in love. Like we, we just need to stop talking for just a second and really learn to listen in love before we learn to speak in love. Because that's really the problem. The reason bad stuff's coming out is because we're not really allowing the good to be processed um, with the Holy Spirit and with the Word of God. And sometimes it just takes time. It takes time to process some of these emotions in our heart, like my mom. Like she couldn't take all those emotions that were going in and we just cry. Sometimes we can't process these emotions in, in that moment well enough, and we need to take a step back. We need to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. And, and as a guy who, who's, as a child, like, and, and as a teenager, I, I had rage, real rage. Like, I mean, I, I was a kid that got kicked out of school for fighting. Like, I know you probably wouldn't take that. I'm pretty easy going, dude, got suspended from school multiple times, fighting good friends most of the time. Like, they, we were just too close to each other. We just wanted to duke it out at school. But God, God began to break down my heart in this anger in, in my life where I become so much slower to become angry, so much slower to speak and quick to listen. And so what would it look like for us to begin to not only speak in love, but learn to listen in love? Begin to listen in love. And I think that's what's really probably challenging for Philemon at this point is can he listen? Can he read this and really just begin to let God do his work in the heart. And I think that's a part of losing control as a Christian that all of us have to really face with is losing control in a way that we let God have control of that situation and let God have control of that relationship, have control of that strained relationship or that unforgiveness, that person that we cannot forgive. Am I communicating in love? It's not just being motivated by love, but also learning to actually communicate it because we're the vessel. We're the vessel that God wants to use to communicate that whether that's a husband-wife relationship, whether that's a, a, a mother-daughter, mother-son, daughter-father, I mean, you, you pick it all, all, all up. All your relationships, we're a vessel. We're a vessel for, for God's love to be shown and, and for him to do his work in people's lives. And so we have to lose control but, but be participating, if that makes sense. Our hands are still involved, but we don't have control. We're just being faithful to what God's called us to. Let's pick up verse 17 here. And for all of you guys that are really bored by my message, um, it, it's, a short, it's a short text. This whole, whole, it's one chapter, so I can't go too far with it. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you'd welcome me. I, I, I love what another part of the New Testament says, that, is that serve it as if unto Christ. Like, it's like visualization. I was talking, I was actually watching football yesterday afternoon. I love football, playoffs, and and uh, they were talking about Russell Wilson, you know, Super Bowl, I think he was Super Bowl MVP last year, and uh, winning Super Bowl champion, and uh, he's a good Christian guy from what I understand, but they were talking about what he does to prepare for the game, 
and it actually remind, and they said that his dad had taught him this, and I was a quarterback when I was in high school, and I actually remember my dad teaching me this and me doing this exact same thing, and it's the process of visualization, that before you ever play the game, you visualize everything happening. And so what I would do, what my dad taught me to do, is to go in the, the showers, which is like the grossest place to do it, to go in the showers because nobody was using them before the game, and go and just lay down and just visualize the game, listen to music, and just visualize everything happening, and it helps you play out. And it's something that Michael Jordan, all these incredible athletes, they talk about is visualizing what's going to happen before it happens. And we begin to prepare ourselves, and this may sound like a very practical thing, but I believe it's a very spiritual one, is where before we ever get into that, that situation that we know is going to frustrate us, because most of the time we have anxiety before it happens because we know we're going to see them at work. We know we're going to we uh, we're gonna see them when we do whatever we're doing. We know it's coming, so there's so much anxiety. Begin to visualize you ministering in this situation in a way that you're a vessel for God to, to use you, not in a way that you just kind of go with it and you just go into it with this attitude of like, oh, this is, it is what it is. It's going to be what it is, but really allowing God to use you in those relationships. And, and it takes losing control, but it also takes taking control of what God's called us to do and being faithful in that. And what I've found is that there's so much freedom in this. There's so much freedom in letting God be God and letting me be me and just doing what God's called me to do in, in sharing the vessel. Because I know I can sleep well at night because I'm doing what God's called me to do. So if you consider me a, par- a partner, welcome him as you'd welcome me. I think he's saying, like, kind of visualize this happening. How would you welcome me? Visualize this happening. Verse 18. If he's done, any, any, uh, done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge me. That's why he's like, Onesimus probably told him, yeah, I stole all this stuff. I did this and that. He's like, charge it to me. He's he's like, I'll take one for the team here. Verse 19. I, Paul, I'm writing this with my own hand. I'll pay it back. Um, Not to mention that you owe me your very self. This is kind of like a little bit backhanded. It's kind of funny to me that Paul says this. He's like, yeah, and don't forget, you kind of owe everything to me because I I kind of raised you up in the faith. I don't think he's saying it like that. But he's saying, don't forget, man. Like, I've, I've invested a lot in you. I've poured my heart into you. I've sacrificed for you. So I, I'm saying, go ahead, charge me any debt, but also don't, don't forget that. Like, God's invested a lot in you. God's done a lot in your life, and he's doing a lot in his. Let's read verse 20, and then we'll, we'll tap the brakes. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. I, I really believe we've be, got to begin to ask ourselves the third question, which is, Am I ready to forgive and love now? Forgive and love. I remember when I was um, in college and I was in this counseling class. I may have referenced this in the past. But I was there. Everything was going pretty good. I mean, I was kind of a wreck emotionally, but on the outside, everything was good, you know? Um, it, it was just a tough, tough time. Um, I was long distance with my now wife and um, was dealing with a lot of other things in my life. I'm very stressed. had like 19 hours of school, working a part-time job. You guys have lived that and done that, some of you. So, um, and I, I really had to begin to examine my heart. And what, um, what the professor began to say is that every single one of us have a shadow side, a shadow side in our heart in which we don't recognize we don't recognize. We know the certain pains that we can remember and we can go back. But again, begin to talk about the, 
the shadow side in each of our hearts that we, we really need the Lord to shine light on because we don't realize that it's affecting the way we communicate. It's affecting the way we are motivated by love or whether we're motivated by resentment or bitterness or loneliness or motivated by all these other things or by money or success, what all, all other things we can be motivated by. He said it affects all of those things. So we really need the, the Lord to shine a light. And what most of us don't realize what we're doing is many times just through life, we have these moments where things happen to us. Uh, we realize something's happened to us and we just sweep it under the rug. We sweep it under the rug. Like, yeah, that hurt. Let me do it. And, and it's, it, it blows my mind how many times in counseling situations or otherwise where people flippantly talk about real pain that has happened to them. Kind of flippantly talk about it and just kind of, I can just see, I, vi- I visualize them just sweeping it on the rug, and I'm like, ooh, that, they need to deal with that. Like, it co- it's coming out. Like, that pain that was there, it's coming out. And the saying's true, hurting people hurt people, and that's what we do. And, and, and so for some of us, if we're ready to forgive and love, the first person I needed to forgive was myself. There was a lot of mistakes there, in my rage, in my anger, in, in my lust, in my whatever of, of my, my younger years, really before this moment in college that I'm talking about, I had so much unforgiveness of myself. I knew the Lord had forgiven it. He had brought me a long way, but I was not whole because I was not allowing myself to be whole. I couldn't forgive myself, and it really took opening this up and saying, God, shine the shadow light, the things that I've been sweeping under the rug, and what I found out was there's so many things that I'd never even thought about. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying this to get you to dig into all these recesses for nothing. I'm getting us to begin to open ourselves up because this is probably the symptoms because of what's under the rug and because of what's in the shadow area is already out. And it's causing problems in our lives. And like if we really want the freedom that God calls for us, if we really want the hope and the peace, then look, let's just get the house clean. Let's just get home clean. Let's just let the Lord do his work, and we'll find freedom, we'll find hope, we'll find peace, we'll find joy, but we'll find we're a better friend, we'll find we're a, a better disciple, we'll, fr- we'll find that we're a, a better spouse, a, a better employee, because we're whole, and we're not operating out of our brokenness and, and our bitterness, but really out of healing and wholeness that God's brought into our life. Am I ready to forgive? Jesus was really hardcore about forgiveness. He really was. Like, uh, oftentimes we paint Jesus with this, such a sweet guy, and like always hanging out with the kids and hugging people, but Jesus was a little bit hardcore sometimes. He was, not sometimes, a lot of times. I mean, it takes incredible resolve to be able to withstand the things that he withstood for us. And this, his first message out of the gate, most of us would look at this and be like, that can't be true, that can't be in the Bible, but this is what Jesus says, Matthew 6. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Whoa, Jesus, like that's New Testament preaching of like forgiveness is a big deal. Forgiveness is a big deal. And so some of us, like we've been saying, yeah, I forgive you on the outside, but really we got a little something in there that we need to deal with. And the question is, am I ready to forgive in love? Am I motivated by love? Am I going to communicate in love? But it all begins with the heart. Things that we can't control, allowing God to do in us some of the things that we, we want him to, to see on the outside, but it's really happening through us. Am I ready to forgive in love? Uh, let's, let's finish reading the text here. Mainly verse 21. And then, I tell you what, we'll just stop here. There's a few more verses, but he's basically saying, bye. 
Um, verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you'll do even more than I ask. Let's just stop there. Confident. He's speaking to him as a spiritual son. Like, have you ever had like someone that's really mentored you in your life and they just said, I believe in you? I believe you can do this. Maybe it wasn't at home. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a, a friend or a coworker. Or you had someone that said, I believe in you. And like, you can kind of go back to that when they, someone will ask that question, who's been the most influential person in your life? You can kind of pinpoint that person. This is kind of, for Philemon, this is his person. And he says, look, I'm confident in you. And we could just fly on back by that, but to Philemon, he's not flying by that statement. He's flying by it and, and really, I think, sitting in it and being like, I can do it because really, because Paul believes in me. He believes that I can cross this bridge, that this can happen. And for us today, I, I want to share this to you, is that I believe that you can do this. And, and even as Paul said to Philemon, that knowing that you'll do even more than what I ask. The things that, that God's dealing with you in your heart, the, the relationships he's wanting to mend, the strains there, the unforgiveness that's deep within our heart, whether it's against ourselves or someone else that we have not forgiven in love. The finally, the, the last thing is, are we ready just to believe in love? And that sounds like the cheesiest thing. I know that's got to be a title for an 80s song. Um, I'm going to believe in love. I mean, I could just make it up. But honestly, like, are we ready to, to really believe that love not only is this kind of mystical idea between man and woman, but it's this real relationship with Jesus and this Holy Spirit working in and through us? Are we going to believe it, that that's, it's enough for us? Because we'll do all these other things and get really creative in all these awesome ways, but really what God's calling us to do is just to believe in the God who loves us, to believe that, that love will work in this relationship and that love will never fail us. I love what Hebrews says. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The idea of confidence and wavering kind of clicks with me. For he who promised is faithful. That's why we have confidence. It's not in ourselves. In fact, that's the most dangerous place we can be is when we're so confident in ourselves, I'm going to do this. It's always pointing back to Christ. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging whether and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us stir up love in one another. Let us believe in love in that God is doing something in our hearts and not hold it up. It's a process, but allow God to work in those relationships that we've written off. Allow God to work in the healing process for the bridges we've burned, for the mistakes we've made. Allow God to do his work today. Allow God to, to help you lift the rug up. Say, God, what's in there? Shine the light of your spirit on it, God. Because I can't see it, God. I feel good right now. In my, my counsel class, I was feeling good. And I just asked the question, God, is there anything there and I about just started weeping in my class. I did. I, I didn't about, I did start weeping. See, I gotta let it out. Just let it out, man. Um, 
I just say, God, what's there? Is there something there? God, begin to point to these things. Man, man, I'm telling you, he, I'm not there yet, but God, I'm, I'm past the start because I, I asked the question and said, God, is there anything there? And I feel more whole, I feel more at peace and more free because I'm letting God be God. I'm going to do what he's called me to do, and I want to be whole. I want to share the, his goodness wherever home is, wherever my heart is at. I'm going to share the love of God. So I want to ask you to stand with me today. And let's pray in this moment. God, I thank you for these people. God, I thank you that visually, God, I just see all these circles, these circles of relationships and influence. And God, we may not think much of our friends. We may not think much of our family, the relationships we have. But God, I know you see each of us as a vessel, as a child, God who first and foremost needs to receive your love. Help us to receive your love, God. Help us to see greater and greater our need for the Savior, our need for Christ, God. Help us more and more to be a vessel that you can flow through, God. Help us to listen spiritually that what's coming out might be holy. Not that we've manipulated it, but you've changed what's on the inside. And your goodness is just flowing through, God. And I pray in this morning, this morning, God, if there's something under the rug for any of us in this room that will, we won't just keep sweeping under the rug, but we will let you do your work, God. And wash it clean, wash it white as snow. Help us to rip those things up, God. Help us to do the things you call us to do. Help us to walk in the way that you've called us to.